Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As a park ranger... I had always felt more connected to the great outdoors than I ever did to the confines of a house. So when I decided to fully embrace the wilderness and move into the woods, it felt like a natural transition. I packed my old camping equipment and set up a small camp amidst the rustling trees and the silent whispers of nature. It was like coming home. In the beginning, everything was as it should be peaceful, serene, and full of life. However, the tranquility started to crack when I began encountering a series of strange occurrences. I found a line of dead squirrels, their small bodies lifeless and eerily arranged in a straight line. It was unsettling to say the least, but I chalked it up to some predator's strange behavior. Nighttime, however, began to bring its own set of horrors. Strange sounds echoed through the otherwise silent woods a cacophony of unsettling sounds that seemed to be getting closer with each passing night. I felt watched, my every move traced by unseen eyes in the darkness. One particular night, when the sounds seemed closer than ever, I grabbed my flashlight to investigate. However, as if in a cruel twist of fate, it flickered and died the moment I switched it on. It never worked again after that. The fifteenth day marked a shift in my wilderness experience. Beside the stream where I collected water, I discovered large, oddly-shaped footprints. Unlike any animal tracks I'd seen before, these footprints sent a chill down my spine and further heightened my growing sense of dread. The nights that followed were filled with more disturbances. Whimpers and growls echoed outside my tent, growing louder with each passing night. Mornings brought a strange smell, an unfamiliar, disturbing scent that lingered around my camp. Fear started consuming me. Each night, I lay wide awake in my tent, my heart pounding in my chest, praying for sleep to take me away from the terror that gripped me. I avoided investigating the noises, the fear of what I might find far outweighed my curiosity. The climax of my ordeal came when I finally saw it a creature unlike anything I'd ever seen, lurking in the woods. The sight was so horrifying that it drove me to the brink of madness. I ended up in a government psychiatric facility, my mind filled with the haunting image of the creature, my words a frantic rave about my encounter in the woods. That, I suppose, is where my story as a park ranger living in the woods ends.
I have a story to share with you that left me quite intrigued. It involves my neighbor and a rather unexpected visitor. It was on January 6th or 7th of this year when this incident took place, and it's something that still gives me chills when I think about it. My neighbor, an elderly woman who lives about three miles away from me near Highway 101, had a startling encounter. She recounted that Bigfoot, yes, you heard that right, Bigfoot, paid her a visit on her back porch. Now we do have quite a few bears in the area, and at first she assumed it was one of them causing the commotion. But when she went to investigate the noise, she realized it was something far more astonishing. Standing just five feet away, she caught sight of a silhouette unlike anything she had ever seen before. It wasn't a bear, she was certain of that. This figure, towering at five feet seven in height compared to her husband, had distinct features that set it apart. She was particularly struck by its large and thick neck, a feature she hadn't associated with Bigfoot before. It was an unexpected detail that caught her attention. As she observed the creature rummaging through her garbage can, she couldn't help but feel a mix of awe and curiosity. Bigfoot, right there on her porch. The encounter was both exhilarating and unsettling for her. She mentioned that she and her husband have no dogs, so there were no other distractions or explanations for what she saw. I had heard tales and legends of Bigfoot before, but this first-hand account from someone I know left me amazed. The fact that Bigfoot would venture so close to human habitation, even in our quiet neighborhood, made it all the more captivating. It made me wonder how many other extraordinary encounters might have happened in our vicinity without our knowledge. Steve, another neighbor who relayed this story to me, mentioned that sightings of Bigfoot in our area weren't unheard of. However, this particular visit to my neighbor's porch added a new layer of intrigue and speculation to the ongoing mysteries surrounding this elusive creature. As for me, I find myself walking around with a newfound sense of wonder and excitement. Who knows what other extraordinary creatures or phenomena might be lurking just beyond our backyards. It's a reminder that there are still mysteries in the world waiting to be unraveled, and I can't help but be captivated by the possibilities. I have a fascinating story to share with you, one that happened to a man named John. It was a memorable evening when he and his wife decided to spend some time at Rooster Rock State Park in Oregon, right by the majestic Columbia River. Little did they know that their peaceful fishing trip would take an unexpected turn. It was around 2 a.m. and John found himself alone at the fishing inlet while his wife peacefully slept in their tent. The full moon illuminated the surroundings, creating an eerie yet beautiful atmosphere. As he cast his line, he heard a piercing and mournful scream that seemed to come from a distance. The sound sent shivers down his spine, filling the air with an unsettling presence. Curiosity got the better of John, and he turned his gaze in the direction of the scream. To his astonishment, just ten feet away, stood a massive figure that could only be described as a ten-foot-tall Bigfoot. The creature didn't seem to pay any attention to John, its gaze fixed across the river. Rooster Rock, being known as a potential crossing point for Bigfoot, added a layer of credibility to this extraordinary encounter. As John stood frozen, he couldn't help but notice the creature's eyes. In the moonlight, they shimmered like silver dollars, eight inches apart glowing with an intense fiery red. It was a sight that sent chills down his spine, filling him with a mix of fear and awe. Panic started to take hold of him, but then something inexplicable happened. A message of peace and non-aggression echoed in John's mind, as if telepathically communicated. It was a calming presence, urging him to maintain a sense of peace and to back away slowly. He listened to the message, turned around, collected his fishing gear, and started to retreat. The encounter had left him in a state of shock and disbelief. In a daze, John packed up his belongings and left in his boat, leaving his wife behind in the tent, completely unaware of what had just transpired. Later, when she woke up and discovered her husband missing, she sought help from a friend to search for him. Little did she know that John had been arrested, a consequence of the encounter's aftermath. 
As unbelievable as it may sound, the couple returned to the site later, driven by a need for answers. Their disbelief turned into astonishment when they discovered deep and wide tracks, measuring 17 and 20 inches in length. It was evidence that something extraordinary had indeed occurred that night. John, now eager to share his story, expressed his intention to return and recount his experiences when he finds the time. However, he chose not to disclose his last name or any contact information for verification purposes, leaving his tale to be shared solely through word of mouth. This encounter with the enigmatic Bigfoot left John and his wife forever changed, their perspective on the world forever expanded. It serves as a reminder that there are still mysteries lurking in the shadows, waiting to be explored and understood. I've been a police officer in Salem City for over 10 years now, and I've heard all sorts of strange stories from the locals. But one particular report still sends shivers down my spine whenever I think about it. It happened in the early spring of 1992, and it concerned a man named Dan and his girlfriend who were driving down Vitti Springs Road at around 10 p.m. Dan and his girlfriend were heading southwest of Salem when they saw something that they couldn't believe. A Bigfoot was standing in the middle of the road, holding a large plastic garbage bag. The creature seemed just as startled as they were and dropped the bag before running off into the darkness. Curiosity getting the better of them, the couple checked the bag and found it filled with old coffee cups. They immediately reported the sighting to the police, and the cups were turned over as evidence. The witness kept some of the cups as a gag but the rest were handed over to the museum for further study. The witness described the creature as black, standing on two legs, with ape-like features and no neck. It looked surprised when it saw them, and then squawked before running away. It was a chilling experience, and I couldn't help but wonder what other strange creatures might be lurking in the shadows of our city. I decided to check the area around where the sighting happened, and I talked to a bookkeeper at a nearby furniture store. The bookkeeper had 20 acres of land nearby and had never experienced any problems or heard anything unusual in the past. However, he did mention that he heard strange howling sounds the year before. The encounter with the Bigfoot may seem like a wild story, but I believe the couple's account. There are still so many mysteries in this world, and we have yet to uncover all of them. As for me, I will continue to keep an open mind and investigate any reports that come my way, no matter how strange they may seem. I was admitted into a peculiar psychiatric facility in Texas due to my severe depression and uncontrolled heroin addiction. The facility, an impressive castle-like structure hidden within a dense redwood forest, was financed by my well-off parents. Ever since my stay there, I've been on a relentless quest to discover the truth about this facility. My suspicions of its involvement in MK Ultra, coupled with a peculiar encounter I experienced during my stay, fuel my obsession. Despite my rigorous research, I have unearthed scant information about this enigmatic institution, save for its location and a brief article about its inauguration in the 1940s. My parents, perhaps wanting to bury the past, have remained tight-lipped about the facility, leaving me in the dark. The primary reason behind my persistent investigation lies in a disturbing encounter I had within the facility's boundaries. Despite the facility's stringent surveillance, I distinctly recall wandering into the forest at midnight, under the eerie glow of a full moon. I remember following some inexplicable presence until I reached a clearing. It was there that I saw it a towering figure, draped in shadows with a gaunt, almost skeletal figure, and skin as pale and translucent as moonlight. At first, I thought it was a hallucination, a side effect of the potent medication they had me on. But then it turned towards me, revealing deep-set eyes that shone a brilliant red in the moonlight. I was petrified, frozen in place by an overwhelming sense of dread that washed over me. The creature was unlike anything I'd ever seen, more akin to a Sasquatch from folklore than any animal known to man. 
Even now, I'm unsure if that encounter was a hallucination brought on by my medication, or if I had been an unwitting participant in some MK Ultra experiment. The memory of that eerie encounter and the creature's terrifying gaze continue to permeate my nightmares, driving my obsession to uncover the truth about the facility and what I experienced there. The encounter occurred on July 6, 2005, at about 11.30 p.m. I had a long day in San Diego, then afterward went to the beach at Del Mar, California for some surf fishing. I arrived at my home in San Marcos at about 11 p.m. After cleaning my fish and showering, I was very tired. I went out to my carport for a smoke and a look at the night sky. I looked north, thinking about a recent UFO sighting and wondering what it was all about. In the distance at a couple hundred feet, I saw a faintly visible moving object that flitted from side to side. Whatever it was, it reflected light from the streetlights. Its side-to-side -side movement was so quick, I couldn't tell if it was one object or two. The object then zipped directly over my neighbor's house across the street. By this time, I was certain I'd never seen anything like it. It continued to move side-to-side -side in a space of approximately 50 feet. It then stopped and I observed it more clearly. It may have had big eyes and wing-like appendages and was probably two to three feet in width. It remained still and I could see wavering reflections from its wings, which were not beating like a bird, but showed shimmering reflections from the streetlights. I felt the hair on my head rise all the way down my back to my ankles. It appeared to be looking at me as I smoked my cigarette. I felt threatened and said out loud, I see you. Then it went from stationary to out of sight, right over my head in an instant. I came out from under my covered carport and turned to follow its movement. Immediately, it zipped into view directly above my head, obviously studying me. I could see really weird large and intensely dark eyes. It seemed surprised by my looking right at it. It didn't like being seen. My apprehension rose even higher. It turned away and disappeared like a shot. It had a bird-like shape, but was thicker. My impression was of reflections of the streetlights on wing-like appendages and big dark eyes. It wasn't a bird, bat, or any familiar nocturnal creature. Its movements did not seem explicable in comparison to any creature that flies by beating its wings. The hills and mountains are so rugged and inaccessible near my home that anything could remain hidden and make nighttime forays at will. I read about thunderbirds, but I'm not sure if this was one of these. Patterson, Waller County, Texas. The one my buddies and I came across on April 15 near Katy, Texas, while cutting through Morton Road between 362 and Durkin Road had amber-looking eyes. It was around 11.30 p.m. when we cut through Morton Road. We backed out of that dirt road so fast and then drove south on Durkin and then left onto Royal Road while the entire time looking over to the open field with our spotlight and the one rifle in the truck. Once we made a ride onto 362 and headed south, we began feeling a bit more relaxed. We then took it all the way south to 359 and then made a left on Highway 90 and didn't stop till we made it to our friend's house in Katy. We were coming from Pattison, Texas, where one of my other friends lives. We also like to go through that patch on Morton Road during the day because it is like off-roading, and who doesn't like that? We originally thought of heading to Royal High School on Royal Road and decorating its grounds with beer cans, but we instead decided to turn left and off-road at night when we drove past Morton Road. It is the reason why we were so chilled about coming across what we thought was a large dog till it turned around and stood on two legs and growled at us. Its growl was deep, but low, it rattled the entire truck. One of my friends told me that the only thing they remember was the sound it made while breathing which was that of a horse. My buddy's truck is lifted and usually when I stand in front of the hood, it is around the high part of my chest I'm five feet eight. But when this thing stood up, you could see most of the waist area, so it had to be taller than me. I can't give an exact measurement because I just don't know. 
All I know is that it wasn't a bear. I've seen black bears before. The spotlight caught it, and it looked like my buddy's German Shepherd, and or its Mulligator with amber-looking eyes. Maybe it was a big koi dog or koi wolf or a bear with mange, but it was pretty tall and wide. It happened so quickly that I just... I'm having a hard time being eligible with my thoughts here. Sorry about that. So we put it in reverse and got the hell out of there and drove all the way to Katie without stopping anywhere. Then we barricaded ourselves in it with our 15s and shotguns and just sat there in the middle of the dark with our backs to each other for the rest of the night. We didn't leave the house until midday on Sunday to check the dashboard camera, which had recorded over the entire incident the previous night. Our cell phones recorded nothing but jumble and my buddy's dog wouldn't come near the truck as it kept whimpering around it with its tail behind its legs. The dashboard camera recorded over all the data on Sunday. We went through it and it was from when the truck was parked at our friend's house. The cell phone quality was so bad we erased it. I dropped my phone on the floor of the truck and didn't find it until Sunday afternoon. It is not something we were planning for like most of the videos you see on the web. Monday morning came around and we all called in sick because we refused to get out of the house until the sun was out. This obviously upset our family members' parents who thought we were being irresponsible, and we finally grew the courage to return to Morton Road on Monday afternoon. Six trucks entered Morton Road off Durkin Road with high-powered semi-assault weapons, shotguns, and hunting rifles. We didn't find any tracks either which is weird because it had rained heavily the past few days so the ground was soft and there was standing water on Morton Road. The only thing we found was this perverse stench like something had died mixed with metallic smell blood and urine ammonia. The dogs we brought with us, two German Shepherds, one Mulligator, and one Doberman were all whimpering nervously around the site like they didn't want to be there. After the incident, I have spent the rest of April just reading everything I could about dogman encounters. My other three friends don't want to talk about it either and one broke up with his girlfriend of three years because he just refused to spend the weekend hiking with her through the attic's reservoir hiking trails. They got back together after we were able to get him to open up about it. But I'm the only one that has put this on the web. It has been a month and I still refuse to be out later than sundown. I don't leave the house early in the morning anymore to go to the gym at 5 a.m. In fact, I have changed my life around completely, and that includes no more before bed walks at night with the dog. I have installed security bars on all my first floor windows, added spotlights to my entire home, and placed better security cameras. I also no longer drive through country roads even during the day, especially by myself because I feel exposed. Last week I refused to go fishing on the Brazos River and turned down heading for the weekend to Lake Conroe. I've always wanted to go fishing at the end of East Matagorda Bay, but to get there one would have to off-road on a 4x4 west from Matagorda Beach on a dirt trail for about 15 miles. Yet after this experience, I no longer feel safe. I just want to go back to being ignorant about the things that go bumping about at night. It had been a year since the hunting trip that changed my friend's life. As a former U.S. Marine, he was someone I'd always admired for his resilience and strength. So when he went missing in the wilderness, it struck fear into all of us who knew him. We were hunting in the mountains, a group of us. It was meant to be a boy's weekend, a chance to bond and let off some steam. But then he got lost. We heard his panicked voice over the radio, increasingly delirious, speaking of being pursued by a terrifying creature. He was hiding, he said, in a crevice in the mountainside, too scared to move, eat, or drink. We found him days later, severely dehydrated and in a state of extreme fear. His recovery was slow, and the trauma from his ordeal was so severe that he was admitted to a psychiatric facility. A year later, he reached out. I noticed he was on anti-anxiety medication, and he never ventured out at night. It was clear the experience had deeply scarred him. One night, over a few drinks at his home, he finally opened up about his harrowing experience. The details were chilling. 
He spoke of the first night alone in the mountains, of a guttural growl that filled him with dread of feeling watched. His flashlight and radio had stopped working, leaving him blind and isolated. In his panic, he ran until he found a small crevice in the mountainside where he hid. His description of the creature was something straight out of a horror film. A seven-foot-tall, almost human figure with thin, wrongly jointed limbs. Its skin was pale, like it had been rotting, and its eyes. They were a fierce, burning red. On the second day, while the creature was absent, his radio had briefly sprung back to life, and he had been able to call for help. But after that night, he refused to confirm or deny his story. I've been researching since then, trying to understand the mystery, haunted by his tale, by the lingering smell of rotting flesh at the rescue site, and the eerie feeling of being watched. Despite the fear, there's a part of me that needs to know, that wants to understand what he went through. But sometimes, late at night, when the shadows dance on my walls, I can't help but wonder if there are some things better left unknown. The heat of the New Mexico sun beat down on me as I set off on a solitary hike, eager to explore the vast wilderness while hunting for hidden geocaches. The vast openness was a sight to behold, but the true allure was what was hidden in the wild, waiting to be discovered. After a few hours of navigating through dense foliage, I found myself in a clearing. There, I was met with a sight that seemed out of place in the serene wilderness. Half-built and crumbling concrete structures were scattered around, their skeletal frames of protruding rebar piercing the clear blue sky. A dirt road, untouched by recent rains and worn by tire treads, cut through the clearing, leading in from a direction opposite to the one I had come from. The sight was oddly chilling a ghost town in the making, forsaken mid-construction and left to crumble in the otherwise untouched wilderness. Signs of recent activity footprints and freshly discarded trash hinted that the site was still frequented, adding to the eerie atmosphere. It felt post-apocalyptic, a relic of civilization left to decay among nature. Alone and unsettled by the unexpected discovery, I felt a twinge of unease crawl up my spine. The thrill of geocaching took a backseat to the creeping sense of dread permeating the area. I decided to abort my hunt, choosing to retrace my steps and leave the uncanny sight behind. It was only later that I discovered the truth about the site. It was, in fact, a battleground for paintball tournaments designed to mimic an urban warfare environment. There were no signs of spent paintballs or colorful splatters on the concrete walls, leaving no clues about its real purpose. This explained the seemingly misplaced urban decay in the heart of the wilderness. Yet, knowing its purpose did little to diminish the eerie impression the site had left on me. Its incongruity with its surroundings served as a stark reminder of how jarring the hand of humanity can be amidst the beauty of nature. I was with Outward Bound in Utah for three weeks. Majority of the three weeks you are with the group, but for one, two days you go on a solo, or whatever they call it. They give you enough gear and food and plant you in a spot. You're not opposed to leave for any reason. If you have a problem, you blow the safety whistle, and someone will come. We were pretty much just out of line of sight from each other in the group. So I get to my spot, set up shop, and walk around my area a little bit. I then find the mangled and decayed husk of an elk, not 50 feet from my sleeping bag. It had been there for a month or two, and there was barely any meat left on it, so the smell wasn't that bad. It was very clear that something had been eating the elk. The skull was three feet away from its spine, the legs were gone, and the ribcage was smashed. There aren't too many things in the wild that can do this. It could have been a black bear but they're skittish and I could just yell at it and it would go away. Brown bear. If it was hungry, I would be in some serious shit. Coyotes. Not that threatening because I am not a small dog or cat. Wolves. Least likely as I don't think there are many left in Utah. Mountain lion. F me sideways if it decides to come back. Most carnivores don't want to travel great distances to hunt for food, so they stay close to their food supply. 
Most importantly, they don't haul the catch of the day back to the wife and kids. To my knowledge, only few animals do this. So if you find a kill of a carnivore, you are probably not too far where they live. Now sleep tight, alone, in the darkness, knowing that the animal that killed the elk isn't that far away from you. While you sleep, alone, defenseless, I grew up in the concrete jungle of Brooklyn, a place where buildings scraped the sky and cars filled the streets. My eyes had only known the grays and blues of concrete and steel, the occasional splashes of green in city parks, and the vibrant diversity of urban life. The sight of an actual forest, a densely wooded area filled with trees, was alien to me. When I was a young teen... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A friend decided to introduce me to the more natural side of Brooklyn, the trails in Prospect Park. We ventured away from the hustle and bustle of the city and into the serene woodland trails. The sheer contrast was unsettling, if not terrifying. The silence was an unfamiliar melody, a far cry from the incessant city noise. The towering trees cast long, menacing shadows, making the woodland seem eerily dark and haunted. Just as I was coming to terms with the uncanny surroundings, something caught my eye that sent a chill down my spine. A white face, a girl's face, peered out from a thicket of bushes. Her eyes were wide and vacant, her mouth open in what looked like a silent scream. It was as if she was frozen in the throes of absolute terror. Instantly, all the horror stories I had heard about deserted woods flooded my mind. My heart pounded against my chest as thoughts of the worst scenarios crossed my mind had a psycho-serial killer dumped a victim's body here. I stood petrified, my breath held as I tried to process the sight. It took me a good thirty seconds to realize the truth. The girl's face belonged to an inflatable sex doll, oddly discarded in the bushes. It was a bizarre sight, and though it was far from the gruesome scenario I had imagined, it still added a strange twist to my first experience with the woods. I'm a hunter of wildlife photographs. Was hiking in some thick rainforest when I heard some rustling some distance away. Not loud rustling, just like something small was moving in the branches. This sound was coming from a spot that was between me and the road and the approach is only a three, four foot wide path and thick cover on either side. I thought it was probably monkeys, but felt it would be better if I left. So I started retracing my steps, turned the last bend in the path, and now it was the home stretch. Maybe 30 more steps to the safety of the road. But there, looming right before me within touching distance, was a bull elephant looking straight at me. Lone bull elephants have a bad reputation in India. I thought I was a goner. Life flashed before my eyes, etc. He was probably puzzled too and showed his displeasure. He stomped his foot, swayed his head from side to side, groaned and crashed away through the trees on his left. I don't know why I was spared that day. Next day, in a completely different part of the forest, I was sitting under a tree, catching my breath. The forest here wasn't so thick, so I could see around me. And whoosh. Another bull elephant, but this one somehow. Can't explain, somehow didn't give me bad vibes. He appeared from 10 o'clock direction, approached to about 20-30 feet away, and then lost interest in me and proceeded to take his lunch. We spent about 10 minutes together, my heart was busting, but somehow my brain was calm and I knew nothing bad was going to happen. Nothing did. He finished eating and left. I never went into the forest alone after that.
This happened when I was 16, almost 10 years ago. Me and my friend were driving around on one of our nighttime adventures. We loved just driving around the city at night and just talking. We were on a pretty busy road. We noticed that off the side of this road was a sudden dirt road that led off into the woods. It interested us, and this was what we considered an adventure. So what the hell, we turned onto it. This was a zone of the creepiest roads I have ever seen. Pitch black, no lights, no cell phone reception. Surrounded by thick woods, trees filled with cobwebs, and there were clothes thrown around everywhere. You wouldn't think that you were in the middle of a city. It was weird from the start. As we're driving down the road, there's this small cliff with large, strange black sculptures on top of it. One was a giant cube, balancing on one corner, that looked like it had faces carved into it. Another was more two-dimensional, about 12 or so feet tall with no features, but kind of looked like a twisted human with missing limbs. This small cliff had a gravel road next to it. We drove up it, and there's a large metal building with multiple rusted metal doors. Those kind you pull up to open. I immediately looked at my friend and said, This is a weird as shit building. I wonder why it's here. She said, I don't know, but we need to leave now. This feels bad, and there's cameras everywhere. She pointed them out, and sure enough, there were cameras literally embedded into the trees. You could see the lenses sticking out of the trunks. We pulled up just a little bit to turn around. We parked right there on the side of the road, once we got off the gravel one. We were debating on whether it was safe to get out and take some pictures. Just as we figured it was best to come back in the morning. Suddenly, about five dudes appeared out of nowhere. They had the car surrounded and were screaming and beating on the car and windows. I'm not sure what they were yelling about. I heard one of them mention something about a basement. I thought he said, you drove over our basement. As we're looking around and at each other like, what the F is going on and what do we do? The dude in front of us picks up a massive rock and looks like he's getting ready to chuck it through the windshield. She throws the car into reverse and floors it. This road is narrow, so she practically drives in reverse the whole way down and we hit the main road and begin driving down it. I'll never forget as I turned around and watched a green pickup truck with blue headlights peel out onto the road off that street. I turned to her and yelled, Dude, they're following us. We drove through all sorts of places, gas station parking lots, back roads. This truck followed us through every single one. After about 20 minutes, her instinct was to go home. I knew better. I told her if someone is chasing you in a car, never go home. You don't want them knowing where you live. I told her to drive until she lost them or go to the police station. She didn't want me to call the police or to really even have to deal with the police yet. So we kept driving. Driving fast and taking as many turns as possible. Eventually we entered the highway and just kept driving on it. We finally lost them in between all the cars and got off on an exit. They kept driving straight. They chased us for almost two hours. It was insane. We would talk about it every now and then, wondering what that place was or what they wanted. We'd also bring up the basement thing and wonder if that's what they said. And if so, who's stupid enough to build a basement underneath a driveway? Or what kind of psychopath has a secret basement in the middle of the woods? Sometimes we'd contemplate going back but quickly decide it was a stupid idea. Never been back since. But 10 years later, I'm still curious about the place. In early February, an intriguing tip came my way, hinting at a series of astonishing encounters with none other than Bigfoot in Elk County. Eager to delve deeper into this mysterious phenomenon, I seized the opportunity to interview two witnesses who had experienced firsthand the presence of the elusive creature. What I uncovered during those conversations left me both astounded and captivated. One resident, who wished to remain anonymous, shared a remarkable account with me. He revealed that he had been actively placing scrap buckets filled with an assortment of food apples, berries, and corn near the edges of the woods. 
hoping to provide a feast for the local wildlife. Little did he know that his generous act would soon lead to an encounter he would never forget. On the fateful evening of his encounter, the resident found himself in his cozy home, enveloped by the tranquility of the surrounding forest. Suddenly, a distant sound of heavy, thunderous footfalls pierced the stillness, causing his curiosity to awaken. Recognizing that the rhythm and weight of those steps did not match the gait of an elk or deer, a sense of intrigue mingled with a touch of apprehension settled within him. A few minutes later, his outside security system alerted him to movement near the vicinity of his property. With a mix of anticipation and trepidation, he peered out of a nearby window, straining his eyes to discern the source of the commotion. What he witnessed next defied all logic and reason. Standing before him was a colossal figure, towering between eight to nine feet in height. Its entire form was enveloped in a thick cloak of black and gray hair, rendering its true features partially concealed. The creature's imposing stature was such that the window frame itself obscured its head from view. The witness's heart raced, and a sense of awe washed over him, realizing he was in the presence of something truly extraordinary. The creature possessed an immense wingspan, its shoulders broad and robust. Its long arms swung rhythmically with each calculated stride, a testament to its untamed power. With measured grace, it moved away from the property, disappearing into the depths of the surrounding woods. The witness stood transfixed, the weight of the encounter settling upon him, forever etching this remarkable sight into the depths of his memory. I'm a born and raised Long Islander. So are my parents. They met out east, which in Islander talk means the east end of the island. To any NYC rich kids, that means the Hamptons. But for the rest of us who are coincidentally not millionaires, it means the North Fork. Not to get too geographically confusing, but Long Island is an accurately named Long Island that forks off about a three quarters of the way down the 90 miles it stretches. It kind of looks like a fish with its mouth open, with the North Fork being where the eyes are and the Hamptons are the jaw. Shelter Island is somewhere in the middle, like a smaller fish about to be eaten. My mom's family had a summer house on the North Fork. My dad had a house on Shelter Island. My parents met working at a summer job, and the rest is clearly history. But super long explanation short, I grew up getting to pretend to be Baoji, because I had not one, but two summer houses. I know, right? Shelter Island is my favorite place. In a lot of ways, just the island itself feels magical. The only access is by ferry, and while traveling there you feel like you are being transported into a different world. But the picture of Shelter Island in the summer is very other than the winter. In the summer, the population rises to around 20,000 people, but in the winter, not more than 2,000, so I was around 13 or 14. I had invited my best friend to come out with my family that weekend. I was so excited, as it was one of the first times she was able to. I remember our bathroom was being renovated, and so the only other bathroom we could use was in the dank, dark basement, and the only connection to the house was by going outside and down the stairs, and then down another set of stairs into the basement. So it had to have been around 10 o'clock, and we went together to the bathroom to brush our teeth. The moon was almost full, so bright it provided some lights on an island that street lamps were few and far between. If it wasn't for the light of the moon, we probably would have passed the creature altogether without realizing it, because out there you can hardly see two feet in front of you when it's dark. As we were coming back up the stairs, laughing about something menial was when we saw it. It was about 10 feet away, with its back to us, lurking near my shed. We both froze and did that thing where you take a quick breath and hold it involuntarily. That made the creature notice us. Its head whipped around, and his eyes were glowing, a kind of blood red. It didn't look angry, but rather like a feral dog, not knowing how to react to these two teen girls observing it. Almost as if not to scare us, it slowly rose up to full size which I would guess was around seven feet. The whole time, it never broke eye contact. 
I felt I could fall into the pits of blood that its eyes were. It was covered in long, shaggy black hair and had thick human-like legs. After standing there, frozen in horror, for at least a full minute, all the while still in this staring contest, we both regained control of our feet and ran up the stairs screaming for my parents. We saw a werewolf, we saw a werewolf. My dad went out first and we followed. My dad quickly dismissed it and went back inside, a bit disgruntled. I could have sworn I saw a bush where it was near move. Over the years, I've had many theories. One of which is that the native people who lived on the island before the white man are responsible, as shapeshifting legends are prevalent in indigenous people's cultures. Maybe it's the descendants of the people who stole this land, cursed to turn under the full moon, choosing isolation to protect their secret. For nine months out of the twelve, anyway. I remember the day as clear as a bell. My girlfriend and I, hungry for adventure, decided to take on the Appalachian Trail. We weren't through hikers by any means, just a pair of carefree spirits looking to experience the rustic charm of the wild over a three-month period. We were far from civilization, hadn't seen a soul in what seemed like forever. The isolation was just as we desired it, an escape from the urban frenzy. As I led the way, my eyes caught sight of something peculiar. It was a large brass eagle, strangely abandoned on a tree stump. We were miles into the wilderness, the nearest town a distant memory. The weight of the eagle spoke of its authenticity. It was a random token of human civilization in the midst of untouched nature. It seemed to be the first in a series of unusual items we encountered that day, each one more inexplicable than the last, discarded as if part of a breadcrumb trail. That evening, we arrived at a shelter. Our relief at finding a place to rest was quickly overshadowed by the unsettling presence of the shelter's lone inhabitant. He was an old man, his disheveled appearance and his walking staff topped with a baby doll's head gave off an immediate eerie aura. With only two levels in the shelter, we opted for the top, leaving the ground floor to our disconcerting company. The night was long. Any attempts at sleep were interrupted by the old man's rambling tales from his past. He spoke of his days as a cab driver in New Orleans, his voice echoing through the wooden shelter. His stories took an uncomfortable turn when he reminisced about passengers engaging in intimate acts in the back of his cab and how he would watch them in the rearview mirror. It was a disturbing disclosure that hung in the air like a bad stench. At dawn, we couldn't wait to distance ourselves from the shelter and its eerie resident. Before leaving, we left him some power bars his haggard appearance suggested he needed them more than us. He probably had schizophrenia or some other mental illness, I thought, as we quickly retreated down the trail. Our encounter with him was a chilling reminder that the wilderness wasn't just filled with physical challenges, but with mental ones, too. It was a usual day in Missoula, Montana. The sort of day that begged you to lace up your hiking boots and lose yourself in the majesty of the surrounding mountains. I lived in a house tucked away at the foot of these ranges and found solace in their imposing shadow. After perhaps 45 minutes of arduous uphill hiking, without a path to guide me, I stumbled upon something that broke the rhythm of nature's harmony. It was a cage, but not one designed for trapping or hunting. No, this one was large enough to contain five to ten average-sized people standing erect. The structure was constructed with round steel bars defining its edges. The walls and ceiling were crafted from robust ropes instead of conventional chain links. It was cleverly concealed, resting just on the far side of the ridgeline, invisible to anyone who wasn't directly upon it. The isolation of the cage was both puzzling and unnerving. Looking around, I noticed the ground was undisturbed, no footprints, no tire tracks, no signs of recent activity. The cage seemed oddly pristine, the ropes intact and undamaged. It was as if this cage had appeared out of thin air, serving an unfathomable purpose in the heart of this vast wilderness. A chill of apprehension ran down my spine as I studied the eerie structure. I felt a primal instinct kick in, 
urging me to leave the area and distance myself from this unsettling discovery. I had stumbled upon a mystery that, perhaps, was best left unsolved. Regretfully, I didn't have a camera with me that day, this was two years ago, and I was only out for a day hike. Over time, the memory of that cage has only become more enigmatic, a strange enigma amidst the natural beauty of the Missoula Mountains, a story that I now share with a sense of bewildered unease. Dimly lit, cluttered with scientific equipment and specimen containers, the remote Iraqi lab is an eerie and foreboding place. The sound of machinery hums in the background. A group of scientists, huddled together in lab coats, move with purpose around a large glass enclosure in the center of the room. Inside the enclosure is a bizarre creature, resembling a hybrid between a wolf and a reptile. Dr. Hassan, a middle-aged scientist with graying hair, observes the creature intently, a mix of excitement and trepidation in his eyes. We've done it. The perfect specimen. Our own creation. Dr. Ali, a younger scientist with an air of uncertainty, approaches Dr. Hassan, casting a worried glance at the creature. But what if something goes wrong? What if it gets out? Hassan waves off Dr. Ali's concerns dismissively. We have taken every precaution, my dear Ali. Our creation will be contained within these walls. Suddenly, an alarm blares. Flashing red lights fill the room. Panic ensues. What's happening? said Hassan. Dr. Ali frantically replied, It's escaped. The creature has breached containment. The scientists scramble, desperately trying to regain control. The creature, now free, prowls the lab with a savage and calculated intent. What have we unleashed? One by one, the scientists become prey to the unstoppable creature. It lunges, claws, and tears through their bodies, leaving a trail of carnage in its wake. The lab descends into chaos as screams of pain and terror echo through the air. Few days later, in the blistering heat of the Al-Hajra desert in Iraq, beads of sweat glistened on my forehead as I, Jocko King, led my highly trained Navy SEAL team on Operation Mirage. Our mission was to infiltrate a suspicious research facility in Iraq, rumored to be a covert weapons development site. The stakes were high, and failure was not an option. As we trekked through the unforgiving desert, our bodies pushed to the limits by the scorching sun, we remained vigilant, aware of the hostile Iraqi forces that could be lurking in the shadows. Our camouflaged gear provided little relief from the relentless heat, but we pressed on, knowing that the fate of many lives depended on our success. Finally, we arrived at the facility, its nondescript exterior belying the secrets hidden within. With calculated precision, we breached the compound, ready to face whatever lay ahead. To our astonishment, the facility appeared deserted, devoid of any human presence. Confusion gnawed at our minds as we cautiously proceeded, scanning our surroundings for any signs of life. Then the unnerving truth revealed itself. Littering the corridors were the lifeless bodies of over a hundred scientists and doctors, their vacant stares forever frozen in a haunting tableau. The silence was oppressive, as if the air itself held its breath in anticipation. We couldn't fathom the horrors that had unfolded within these walls, but we had little time to dwell on it. Suddenly, a chilling growl resonated through the empty halls. We snapped into high alert, our senses heightened, ready to face any adversary that dared to challenge us. Emerging from the shadows was a creature beyond our wildest imagination a cryptid, resembling a hulking Bigfoot with fur that blended seamlessly with the desert sands and razor-sharp black talons reminiscent of an eagle's claws. Fear coursed through our veins, but we had been trained to face the unknown, to confront danger head-on. The cryptid lunged at us with a ferocity that matched its monstrous appearance. It moved with unnatural speed, leaving us scrambling to defend ourselves. In the chaos, it claimed the lives of a few of my fellow seals, their sacrifice etching a permanent ache in my heart. Yet, we refused to surrender. We fought back with every ounce of strength and skill we possessed. Bullets pierced the creature's flesh, 
and the deafening blasts of gunfire reverberated through the facility. Our determination proved unwavering, even as exhaustion threatened to consume us. And finally, we succeeded in bringing down the cryptid, its monstrous form collapsing in a heap before us. As the creature took its last breath, an inexplicable phenomenon occurred. Its lifeless body disintegrated into a swirling mist, dissipating into the air as if it had never existed. The implications of this encounter were far-reaching, and our minds spun with questions that remained unanswered. Inside the facility, we established contact with the nearest us military base, informing them of our triumph over the conquered facility. Our voices trembled with a mixture of relief, exhaustion, and a lingering sense of unease. We had accomplished our mission, but the memory of that cryptid, the horror we had witnessed, would forever haunt our dreams. I served in the SAF as a combat medic and was tasked to lead a medical support team for a training course in Brunei. Due to one of my medics falling sick out in the field, I had the privilege of taking his place and spending the night with an officer and a warrant officer W.O. on a narrow ridgeline in Mount Biang, which was apparently a navigation exercise checkpoint for the trainees. As night fell, we were warned by the officer to refrain from sleeping in the middle of the ridgeline as we ran the risk obstructing the path of any wandering spirits. Out of respect, we took the advice and constructed our hammocks as close to the sides of the ridgeline as we dared. Being a light sleeper, I kept being roused by the sound of the occasional heavy footstep walking by, crunching on the dead leaves and sticks on the ground. The footsteps sounded human, but at that point of time at night, nobody was supposed to navigate the mountain in pitch black. The next morning, my auditory experience was validated when all three of us found fresh tracks, too big to belong to any animal, on the ground that appeared in inconsistent intervals. I was walking through the vast field, my footsteps crunching on the dry grass beneath my boots. The sun was setting, casting an orange glow across the landscape. As a park ranger, I had spent countless hours patrolling these woods, ensuring the safety of both the visitors and the wildlife that called this place home. I had a routine, a familiar path I followed every evening. But this time, something felt off. The air was thick with an eerie silence, broken only by the distant chirping of birds. As I approached the tree line, a sense of unease settled upon me, like a shiver running down my spine. And then it happened. A bone-chilling, raptor-like scream pierced through the air, cutting through the tranquility of the evening. The sound reverberated through the trees, resonating deep within me. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest, my senses heightened. I stood there immobile for what felt like an eternity. The seconds stretched into minutes, and my mind raced with a whirlwind of possibilities. Was it a wild animal? a prankster playing tricks on me, or something else entirely. With trembling hands, I reached for my shotgun, fingers fumbling as I loaded a shell into the chamber. The weight of the weapon provided some semblance of comfort, a small assurance in the face of the unknown. I slowly made my way to a nearby towering tree, its ancient branches reaching out like skeletal fingers against the fading light. Leaning my back against its sturdy trunk, I sat down, my eyes scanning the surrounding area, searching for any signs of movement or danger. But there was nothing. The woods remained still, devoid of life. The only sounds now were the soft whispers of the wind and the rustling leaves. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that unseen eyes were trained on me from the shadows. Time ticked by, the minutes merging into an indefinite stretch of apprehension. The night gradually enveloped the land, casting an impenetrable darkness upon the trees. Still, I remained alert and vigilant. Hours passed, and the moon cast its faint glow over the landscape. No more screams, no more unsettling noises disrupted the calm. With a mix of relief and curiosity, I cautiously rose from my spot and continued my patrol. As I made my way back through the field, a nagging sense of unease lingered within me. 
I couldn't shake the feeling that whatever had emitted that bone-chilling scream was still out there, lurking in the shadows. But for now, all I could do was carry on, my footsteps echoing through the night, and hope that tomorrow would bring answers to the mystery that had unfolded in the woods.